losing that edge of late. And um, wow, we're up there. You had to have it louder for Neil last week, so I'm not Neil. <laughs> um, there is, there's some truth to the idea of the concept of the militancy of the spirit. And, uh, and as it pertains to the kingdom. We are not meant to just... The, the whole idea of occupy till I come, the word occupy is a verb. It's not, it's not a passive word in the Greek. It's, it's, it's about being about what he's doing till he comes. That's what the word occupy means. If you have an occupying force, if, if another nation invaded us and conquered us and set up an occupying force in our midst, they wouldn't just sit around on the base having parties. They'd be patrolling all of the areas and making sure that what their government wanted enforced was getting enforced. That's what it means to occupy. To occupy means that you're doing something actively to make sure that the kingdom that you represent is getting its way in all the areas it can possibly get its way where you're occupying. So I want to give you a message this morning I've entitled, In My Name. In My Name. I promised you I'd bring you one on this and hopefully clear up some confusion about the whole idea of it. Have you ever wondered what in my name really means? You know, it's widely used by multitudes in the church to end prayers and supposedly command things to happen, but is that really what it's about? Like if one of my kids were doing something wrong and then saying, I do this in the name of my father, that doesn't make it good. If they're doing something that's out of step with what I would do, and then just attaching my name to it doesn't make it right. You, you follow what I'm saying? In, in a way, you could say that Jesus' name has largely been, been treated like an incantation. But I'm not surprised by that, given how much that line of thinking has been taught in churches for generations. If you have your Bible with you, Jesus said something in John 14 that I think is important to us. Verses 12 through 14. John 14, verses 12 through 14. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Now notice what he says first. The works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now i got a question for you. You're a married man. Do you think that this means that you could say, Jesus, I want a second wife? You're a displeased wife and you'd like your husband to go the way. Do you think this means you could say, Jesus, I want my husband dead? A little bit extreme, but let's go down the ladder to a lesser thing now. Jesus, I want my neighbor's car. 
or my neighbor's house or my neighbor's lawnmower or my neighbor's dog you see what I'm saying is Jesus going to answer that prayer So we know that when he's saying whatever you ask in my name, it's got to mean something other than just willy-nilly whatever comes to your mind. Right? And thank God that's the case. Because in the current state of some Christianity, it'd be an ugly mess out there if it weren't. Now this has confused some of the generations who's treated in my name as being a phrase to add to the end of a prayer in order to guarantee the desired outcome or to command things to happen. But many have used the name in that manner and nothing happened. So some became disillusioned about prayer being answered or about the believer's authority in Christ. The Bible testifies that hope deferred makes the heart sick. So to me, it's of great importance that we better understand what this in my name really does mean. What is it all about? Jesus said something else in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. Look at what he says there. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This is an in my name state of position. Now is he saying, if you just use in my name, somebody's going to get healed. If you just use in my name, somebody's going to get saved. If you just use in my name, in other words, if you just say, well, in Jesus' name, get saved. Do they get saved? You, you see what I'm saying? Sometimes we just read past things and we don't spend time thinking about it, asking the Holy Spirit about it, so we can better understand what's really being said here. What is he truly trying, what's he trying to teach in this moment? These guys got it. They got it. And they turned the world upside down when they got it. Okay? So maybe we need to get it. See, ironically, we find in Scripture how some set out to use the name as an incantation to deal with the demonic, and nothing happened. In fact, they were greatly embarrassed and injured as a result. Go to your Bible to Acts 19. Turn there and let's begin in verse 11. We'll read down to verse 19. And let's just look at what happens when you think the name is merely an incantation. It says in verse 11, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out from them. Well, the apron's not saying, in Jesus' name, I command you to come out. Is it? 
Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. They're trying to treat it like an incantation. They're saying, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did this. And the evil spirit answered back, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. But who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now that's a bad day. Now this became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. See, even when somebody tries to misuse the name of Jesus, it turns out to his favor in some way, right? Because that's how powerful our Lord is. So Jesus is magnified, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Is there a place in the church for acknowledging you're wrong? They're doing it here. They're telling of their deeds. They're doing it. This is revival, folks. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. This is not a Hitler mandate that they're following here. This is, this is a, a response to the work of the Spirit, causing them to take their books that are nothing, their garbage books, and bring them together and create a bonfire with those books. They didn't say, well, I paid this much for this book. They just brought them and said, these books are garbage. I'm getting rid of them. And they had a big community bonfire. A hallelujah party. Saying goodbye to darkness. And hello to light. That's revival. They counted up the value. Here's the thing. They, they brought the books together, burned them in the sight of all. They counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Money wasn't the first thought. What they had, it had invested didn't even calculate in that moment. It didn't matter. Why? Because they come to realize something about Jesus. Why? Because somebody operating in His name not using it as an incantation, had sent out stuff from his body and it was impacting people's lives. Stuff that can't speak a word was impacting people's lives. And then some false guys tried to use the name as an incantation and got badly embarrassed by it. See, the name of Jesus is not an incantation to be used to get a desired outcome. It's not the magic phrase that makes God want to do something that He might have otherwise been disinclined to do. Here we just read about a revival breaking out and it was because the name was used improperly by unauthorized men trying to duplicate something Paul did representing Jesus. Yet Paul did not use the name 
He simply sent out handkerchiefs and aprons that had come in contact with his body and people were healed and delivered. So in my name's got to mean something so much more than a phrase. It's attached to something. Now my goal in this message is to bring real clarity to the idea and practice of in my name. Do you know you can live in practice of in my name? We just witnessed some occurrences involving in my name from Scripture. Now let's look at some other places this is mentioned that might help us better understand what in my name is really about. So to do this, we've got to look at something Jesus said in John 17. Go there, if you will, verses 6 and 7. In John 17, verses 6 and 7, it says, I have manifested your name to the men you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. I have manifested your name. Manifested your name. He didn't say, I, 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 I went about everything I did. I said, well, in the name of the Father, get up, you dead person. You don't find Jesus doing that. In the name of the Father, be healed. In the name, he's not using words like they're a magic phrase. He's just simply doing who he knows the Father is. And what the Father is like. And by doing that, he's manifesting the name. He's manifesting the name. See, in this concept, under the Hebraic mindset, to manifest the name is to be like. And to be doing just as he would do. That's manifesting the name. Jesus said, I've manifested your name to the men. Now to my knowledge, there's no place in all of the Gospels where we find Jesus saying the Father's name. And when he's healing the sick or raising the dead, performing miracles or casting out demons, there's no record of Jesus saying, in the name of the Father, I command you to come out. But we just read that Jesus manifested the name of the Father to the men he had been given. Now when we consider all the scripture we've examined to this point, we begin to see a pattern. And the pattern reveals, in my name is more about what is done than what is said in a situation. It's a lot more about what is done than what is said in a given situation. So, in my name is a manifestation of kingdom authority when you're representing Christ. Based on what we're witnessing from the scriptures, it's representation in step with who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. That's what it is in my name. Paul sent out handkerchiefs and aprons from his body as a representative of Christ who's doing what Jesus would desire to be done. Paul's not doing something of his own accord and then using in the name of Jesus as the magic words is going to make it work. 
Paul confidently knew the ways of Jesus. He knew Jesus. He knew Jesus. And he manifested. Now the reason using Jesus' name, the reason it was unsuccessful for the sons of Sceva, is that they were not there to represent Jesus to the demon-possessed man. They were not operating as disciples of Jesus in close relationship with Jesus. They were itinerant exorcists doing their own work. They wanted something to make them more effective at advancing their own careers as itinerant exorcists. They treated the name as an incantation, and it didn't work. Now the desire of the Holy Spirit is that we would be in such close fellowship with all three of the Godhead that our desires would reflect theirs. And that's what's characterized the life of Jesus on this earth. When we look at the picture of Jesus' life, everything Jesus is doing is manifesting what the Father is like. What the will of the Father is. What the heart desire of the Father truly is. The people of that day were deeply confused in their concept and perspective of God. And the religious leaders weren't helping it any. In fact, they were making it even worse. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he starts doing things they don't understand. They're struggling with it. They're having a hard time trying to comprehend it. They haven't seen anything like this before. Nor have they witnessed this kind of authority before. Where does he get his authority? He's moving. He's being. He's doing in the Father's name. That's what he's doing. When I go out of the country because the Holy Spirit told me to go, I know I'm going in His name. So when I'm praying for people, I don't have to, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. A lot of times I just touch them. And they get whatever it is He wanted to give them. Why? I'm on mission. According to His purpose. If you live life on mission according to His purpose, you will be manifesting in His name. You will automatically witness the supernatural operating in your life because now you're living life in His name as opposed to yours. The problem the church is having right now is too many of the ones occupying it are living in their name, not His, and trying to use His name as an incantation. And then when it doesn't work the way they hoped it would, they get disappointed, disillusioned, their hearts get hurt and wounded. And they're like, it doesn't even do any good to ask. But what did James say? James said, if you ask for wisdom with a double mind, you shouldn't expect to get anything. Right? What's the double mind? The double mind is, I'm not sure if I'll get it or not. The double mind is whether you're wanting it for you or for Him. Amen. We got to come back to that place 
where what He wants and what He desires and who He is and all that He's about is the crowning, it's, it's the preeminent everything to us. If there's something to do in His kingdom, it comes before everything else. I'm shocked sometimes at how people can put off things in the kingdom for their own name. God's work comes in second, third, fourth. While their wants and desires come in first. Why should it be hard to give to God what He wants? Why should that be a difficult thing? Shouldn't. Should be the easiest thing because really in your spirit, man, that's based on your nature. Your nature is designed for that. You're created for that. And the way you can know you're not giving growth to your spirit, man, is you can put all that God wants on hold so you can pursue what you want first. I have put major life decisions in the trash can because God's kingdom comes first. Comes first before everything. Literally everything. And that's all, that should be our position in Christ. When we're brought into Christ, we're brought into oneness with Him. What did Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? This is what I would like in my flesh to see happen. That this cup could pass. Because I see the pain and the anguish and, and the torment that it's going to bring upon me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Neil talked about the Holy Spirit. It's not a gentleman. He's going to ask you to do some difficult things for you. Things that are hard for you. Choices you have to make. Right? Not based on whether it's convenient or not. Might even cost you something. That's okay. Because as you step into that, you're going to realize you're activating the manifestation of in my name. And you get the joy of partnering with the Holy Spirit as you do this. And the things that you get to be a part of and experience and see others get to experience as a result of it are so much more exciting than any amusement park mankind has ever built, any concert any great band could ever put on, any sports event that has ever been heralded as the premier one for the year, Come on. How precious is the will of God in your life? How precious is the will of God in your life? The sons of Sceva... Treated the name as an incantation. It didn't work. The desire of the Holy Spirit is that we would be in such close fellowship with all three of the Godhead. Our desires are in tune. They reflect theirs. Now we all know how the sun and the moon work, I hope. 
The sun is its own light source. But the moon has no light source of its own. It's why the moon has a dark side to it. The moon is reflective. It reflects the light of the sun. If the sun is not shining on it, it has no light to give. The moon needs the sun if it is to light up our night. In order for you to get light at night from the moon, the sun has to be at an angle. It can shine to that side of the moon facing you so that it reflects the light of the sun at night. That's why the light the moon gives is not quite as bright as the light the sun gives. And this is how it is with us, you know. We need the light of Jesus in order to reflect Him. And that means we need to know Him intimately. And be growing in the knowledge of His will and His ways if we are to manifest in my name. All you need to know right now that the church is not where it needs to be is the manifestation of in my name is not prolific. Because when it is, people are being healed. People are being delivered. People are being saved. People are being set free. That's how you know in my name is manifest. It's not manifesting just because you had a good Sunday service. One that made you feel better than all the rest. It's manifesting when who Jesus is is showing up. And showing out. That's when it's manifesting. Now there's a lot of us that have been in the kingdom long enough to have lived through part of the Jesus movement and the revival of the 80s and stuff of that nature, and we witnessed people getting saved. It was so easy to see somebody get saved. Yes. So easy to see people get set free from demons. Yes. But there's something that characterized those generations that is not currently characterizing the, the, the present one. And that was it. Those people would ask off work to be at something about Jesus. You didn't have to beg. All you had to say is, we expect Jesus to show up. And you had a packed house. It was packed. People were excited. They were expecting something amazing to happen. And it did. Because they were coming in His name. You didn't have to tell them, go out to the neighborhoods. They were going out on their own. You didn't have to provide them tools. They go to Radio Shack and buy a megaphone and get on the back of a convertible top Mustang and ride around neighborhoods preaching the gospel through a megaphone. We would go and stand on dumpsters in the projects and preach off the tops of dumpsters. We would have our lives threatened. We would have knives pulled on us, guns pulled on us, all kinds of threats hurled at us. And we didn't think a thing about it.
Why? Because Jesus was everything. What he meant, who he was, his value, his worth was so far surpassing anything in this life. We just couldn't get enough of it. And we couldn't talk enough about it. So if you moved and you breathed and you had a pair of ears, you were subject to hear something. For date night, Sheila and I went to palm readers to tell them what they were doing was not the work of God. It was a work of divination. And we would have people running the sinks and throwing up because they had demon spirits. And they would be physically pushing us out the front door of their, their home telling us, go and don't speak that name. And to us, that was the best date ever. Now to her parents, they were constantly wondering, what are you doing with our daughter? What kind of situations are you putting her in? I even took her to prison with me. Had to threaten the prisoners one night. Because when she walked in, they were like, whoa! I said, hey, hey, hey. She's with me. We don't go there. But the things that we seem to be so timid and scared and reserved about. Do you not think the Holy Spirit can protect your life? Do you not think that the Holy Spirit can commission you and even send you into the most dangerous location on earth and still protect you? If we are in the last days, Jesus is coming back and persecution is about to rise up and even in this nation. If the church does not get what I'm talking about today, there'll be no witness in America. The only way there can be a witness is there's got to be a people who are manifesting in my name. And the only way a people can manifest in my name is to be so caught up with who Jesus is, all the other stuff pales in comparison. It's just insignificant. By comparison. This is the militancy of the Spirit about the kingdom. Where Jesus is a preeminent, valued, worthy. And when we get to Revelation, we look at what's happening in heaven. And when Jesus takes the scroll and begins to open the seals. They're all on their faces crying out, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Yes. We need heaven's revelation yes. in the church in this hour. That's right. Yes. That's right. Amen. We need songs that sing more about Jesus than they do about us. Yes. We need prayers that focus more on what He wants than even what we want. And when we go there, and we let our hearts get drawn up into that, so much so that our soul begins to hear our mouths moving in that direction, it has to come into alignment with it. We find ourselves desiring to do things that we didn't realize we would ever have a desire to do. 
You just find yourself wanting to do something for Jesus that you never thought you would ever find yourself wanting to do. You didn't have to be told to do that by somebody. It came up within your spirit. It welled up within your spirit. It moved in and took residence in your soul. It is a thought that will not go away from you. Until you finally say, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to act on this. See, right now, currently, the church is waiting for some prophet to show up at the church to tell them who they are and what they need to be doing. But if you're in fellowship with Jesus, you already know who you are and what you ought to be doing. And what he says is important for you is not second class, second tier. It's first tier stuff. Not legalistically. Nothing legalistic about it at all. Relationally, first tier. Relationally, first tier. My wife can ask me for things that you other ladies can't. She'll get a yes, you'll probably get a no. Why? Because she's first tier. She's first tier. That's how it's supposed to work. I'm not doing it so she'll continue to be on my side. I do it because I love her. So if we've had time apart because I've been super busy, she's been super busy, and I want some time with her, and you're asking me for time, and it is an emergency that's come up in your life, don't be offended if I said, I'm sorry, I'm busy. Because that emergency didn't get there in that instant. It's been working its way to that position over time by choices you've been making. I will go to the first tier. Not that you're less. Just we know, we need to learn what things are given, what position in life. I spent too many years putting some, some things with my family on the back burner. I tried my best to give them time. But there were some things that went on the back burner because I was saying this had first place. That had first place. And I had to learn, no it doesn't. No it doesn't. So, you know, in the, in the Baptist churches, they'll say it this way. Uh, God first, then family, then country. I say God first, and whatever he says is next is what will become next. God gets to tell me what's next. Not me. God gets it. Yeah. I've known of, of people who were hardly even ever home because they were so committed to the kingdom work and somehow their kids turned out. Without them being there every hour of the day to, to micromanage the lives of their little ones. If you put the kingdom of God first, the other things that you need in this life will be given to you. You'll get it. But if you're, if you're constantly in that battleground of I can't make up my mind whether I should put God, what God wants first or, or this first, you're going to get whatever you have the capacity to manufacture on your own. And too often it breaks down. The things we build have a propensity to break down because they're built from finite resources. 
They don't have the infinite source backing that's necessary for it to have the kind of fruit and, 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 and long-lasting type of fruit that we want to see. This stuff matters. In my name is significant. It's not a phrase. Let me get moving so I can wrap this up and get you out there with the crowds. So this is why being unsure of God's will can't be overridden by adding in Jesus' name to the end of your prayer or your command. Adding the name does not activate our faith in Him. When Jesus said, you'll ask whatever you will in my name, and it will be done for you, He was not speaking of worldly desires being fulfilled by use of a magic phrase. Jesus was saying, when you're determined to represent me, and you're asking for something rooted in what you've come to know about me, it's going to be done for you. You see, when you know who He is, and you're confident in knowing His ways, you have faith to speak and act. Let's go to Acts 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 1. And let's just see something in the way of the use of the name that might make somebody a little bit confused if they think about it. Because it might come to mind, this little thing. We've all heard it before, the story. Just insert it here. It says, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. Now notice the first phrase, what I do have, I give you. That's key. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people saying, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power of godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. You know what he's doing? In my name. Even though he said in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, that was not a magic phrase that made it happen. He's simply bringing attention to the fact that he's representing someone. Such as I have, I give to you. I give to you. So that's not a confirmation of you're supposed to say in Jesus' name. 
No, you're supposed to be doing what you're doing according to his name. In other words, you'll be backed up when you're representing Jesus in your life. So let me ask some questions as we wind this up. Are you seeking to be one who knows him? I mean, really knows him? Are you seeking to have a marriage that reflects him? Or are you just wanting the kind of marriage that everybody talks about and because the crowds say that that kind of marriage is the kind of one to have, that's the one you want. Or would you rather have the one that Jesus says is the one you're supposed to have? Would you rather be the husband Jesus says you're supposed to be and the wife Jesus says you're supposed to be? Not in comparison to anybody else. But for your situation, for your connectivity, for your relationship to him as a kingdom couple, Come on. Are you wanting to parent in a way that reflects him? According to the way he tells you to parent. Do you desire to reflect him as an entrepreneur or an employer? You want to treat your employees the way Jesus says you should treat them? Or do you want to do it your own way that you think is best? Do you want to be the kind of employee that Jesus says you ought to be? Or do you want to be the kind of employee that everybody in the workplace says you ought to be? Which is complain about the boss and all his unfairness. and You know, we know what happens in the workplace at the water coolers. Come on. In my name is according to his ways based on knowing him. And this is why it's so important to grow in your relationship with Jesus and in your knowledge of his ways. If you're growing in that, you might run into a situation while you're out and about and the knowledge of his ways and the knowledge of who he is invades your moment and you're just a miracle looking for a place to happen. This is not the bracelet. What would Jesus do? So that you tap into all your biblical trivia knowledge. Your Bible trivia knowledge base. What would Jesus do? Well, he did this. He did. Well, it's good to know those things. But, I mean, there's a difference in really knowing who he is and not just knowing stories about him, but feeling like you've come into knowing him through those stories. There's a difference in the. You can get the stories and be amazed by the stories. Oh, Jesus walked on water and had Peter walk on water. That's so cool. But then you can come into that by your spirit. Into that moment. And the Holy Spirit can show you something about Jesus you've never seen before. And you begin to own the knowledge of His way in that moment. Okay? And when you come to that place, now you are equipped by your knowledge of Him and His ways through intimate relationship connection, not just saying, I want to be smarter than everybody else and pass the Bible trivia contest. I want to win it. 
No, I want to know him. Think about this. Paul, with all that he did, as he's getting ready to go and, and basically be beheaded, his, his statement toward the end of his life is that I might know him. I might know him. You mean you don't know him yet? You sent out handkerchiefs and aprons from your body and people got healed and delivered to demons. And, 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 you, and you basically led more nations forward in the gospel than all the other disciples. And you don't know him? Well, yeah, he knew him. But he knew there's so much to who he is. He had barely skimmed the surface. Barely skimmed the surface. And today, Christians can be like, oh, I understood the preacher this time. I must be doing pretty good. No, knowing him requires, a, there is some effort involved. There's some sitting still and, and pondering and thinking and asking the Holy Spirit to show me something of Jesus I've not seen yet. And you're not earning this vision, this revelation of Jesus by doing that. You're, that's relationship. I go on dates with my wife. I spend time with her because we're still getting to know each other. We're constantly changing as we go further in life. You know, you can, you can continue to change as you go further in life and you can grow apart because you're not taking the time to continually communicate and know one another and you become strangers in the same house. Because you're not putting any effort to make the discoveries. The same thing happens in our walk with Jesus. And if you're not careful, you'll have a marriage that exists because you'd be too embarrassed to divorce. Instead of a marriage that exists because you're thrilled to be together. Just thrilled to be together. Happy to be stuck with you. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Happy to be stuck with you. It's my vast library of songs from all the decades. I hope this is getting through to somebody. The reason you want to pursue that intimacy of relationship with Jesus is you can't manifest His name unless you are. That's right. You'll fall prey to the Christian idea of how this stuff works and you'll just try to throw out, in Jesus' name I pray, and when it don't happen, you'll be upset internally. You won't speak it out, but inside you're seething. Yes. Yes. You're reeling. And before long, it goes on long enough to where it becomes just accustomed and you don't even realize where your offense came in at to start with. But you've got an internal offense you're no longer even aware of. And the enemy's just working that thing and working that thing and working that thing. And before long, that internal offense turns from that, that secret thing that's going on within that got hidden away to, to looking at people and thinking they're the problem. They're the reason it didn't get answered. They're the reason stuff's not working.
And so you go through life too afraid to get out because you don't want to go to hell. So you're not going to do something that will cause you to miss heaven on the technicality. Which is a sad way of thinking. So you just keep going through the grind. Not excited about it. Not enthusiastic about it. Just got to do it. Got to be there Sunday because that's what Christians do. That's what Christians do. They, they show up on Sunday. And they at least act like they're singing. And they smile and they act like they're happy to be there. But they really could prefer to be at home in time for the next NFL game. There are people in churches today, their minds are somewhere else. Their minds are somewhere else. They, something else they'd rather be doing, or rather be at, or whatever. They're not in that gathering in His name. Scripture says that as the day of His return approaches and gets nearer, we are all the more. All the more assembled together. And not let things interfere with it. Why? Because the days are getting darker. The challenges are getting greater. The influences are multiplying that are opposite of what we really should be getting. You, you might think you don't need the gap. But trust me, you do. You do. But the way you need it is you need to come into it in His name. Come in His name. And if you come in His name, you'll be glad you did because you'll get to experience Him in ways others may not be getting to. Because you came on purpose. Not out of duty. You came with eagerness and purpose. That breeds expectation and enthusiasm and excitement. You start getting that together, the more and more that it catches on. It's an exponential thing. And that's when you start feeling the sense of revival fire, awakening fire, burning in your midst. A stirring starts occurring. And it gets exciting the more it stirs. Not because we're making him do that. He's finally saying, I've got people that are expecting. I've got people that want something. I really do have people that would like to do something other than just go through the motions. He's every Sunday, he's eager, he wants, he desires, he's looking, he's wanting to perform miracles, he's wanting to heal people's bodies, he's wanting to deliver people from demonic oppression and oppression and even possession. He's wanting to save people who might be in the midst that have never met him before. He's there. He's wanting to do that. That's right. Every time. Without fail. That's who he is. 
He's wanting somebody else to see the love of the Father. He's wanting somebody else to come into acquaintance with how good God really is. He wants that. That is His desire. But if we're going to experience that with any regularity and with any, any kind of real elevated sense, we have to come together in His name. And that's not coming through the doors and saying, I'm here in Jesus' name. That's coming through the doors, having spent time with Him, having increased in my awareness of Him, having gotten more familiar with His ways and His desires, and therefore having an expectation that that's who He wants to be today. That's what He wants to do today. Are you hearing me? And then your prayers start to, you start to begin to find yourself praying for the body. I'm always shocked when I ask ministers, you know, what is God speaking to you about the body? And they look, they get a blank look like they've been, you know, lobotomized or something. And I'm like, wow, how can you passionately be seeking Jesus who is fervently in love with his bride and not have a sense? How can anyone do that? People get to know me and as they get to know me, they, they know a couple of things about me. I'll preach on a dime. Because I've got a lot I want to say about Jesus. Second, I, I, don't, I don't make the church fall prey to other things. Not even a sabbatical. Because I live in sabbatical. It's where I live, my life, is in sabbatical. If you're living in the presence of Jesus, you're in sabbatical. Hebrews says there is a rest, a Sabbath rest. So I don't take this lengthy sabbatical from here as if I've been drained out. If I've been drained out, I've been given to you from me, not from Him. I could be here all day. We could stay here all day. I could keep going all day like this. I really could. The reason I do devotionals every day like I did, I took a break this week because of how busy I am and something that the Holy Spirit told me I needed to do. So that took preeminence. And so I took a break from devotion. So if you didn't get anything from me, your messaging is not messed up or nothing like that. I'm not backslidden. <laughs> I've been chomping at the bit to bring you this message. <laughs> And, and we don't have a good men's meetings, even though my mind is not calendar, you know, not calendaring the way it needs to, remembering things. But hey, I'll be ready tonight. And hopefully those of you that's going to come here and show up at 5.30, you'll be ready too. Brothers, if you come in His name, God's going to do something. I'm telling you now, God's going to do something. That's the way it works. That's just how it works. 
If you have somebody over for dinner and you're doing it in his name, God's going to show up at that dinner. Jesus is going to manifest at your dinner. You, you were just getting together to find out people's history. But you find out in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit starts stirring. And then you find you want to pray. And man, it starts to get rich real quick. Real quick. But Tim, it can't work that way. There has to be a dictate. And that dictate has to tell us exactly how we've got to do it. No, he doesn't. You have the Spirit. You have the Spirit of God. You get in fellowship with Jesus in intimacy, I'm telling you now, you're going to get stirred. You're going to get so stirred. And I'm going to get so happy. Because you're going to want to do things that you never thought you would ever want to do. And I'm going to sit back and smile and say, isn't this great? And you'll make some mistakes. That's okay. That's not a problem. It's part of the process. I'm still making mistakes. I'll be making mistakes till Jesus comes or I go to see him. It's the way it goes. It's that, it's that part of our humanity that gets in the way at times. But the beauty of his grace is he doesn't write us off because we did it. And he wants us to get right back up and keep on going. Keep on going. So step out. Get, get, get to a place, brothers and sisters, where Jesus is so everything that you won't let anything interfere with what His desire is for you. Nothing. Can we pray? I kept you a little longer today. But I feel like this is a very pivotal, important, transitional message. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you are doing in this hour. <laughs> I thank you, Jesus, that you are loving your bride like, like nobody has ever known to love somebody before. We don't even begin to fathom the kind of love you have for your bride. This is your bride. This is a part of your bride right here at Harvest Church. And you want to love on this bride. You want to do things for this bride. You want to do things through this bride. Lord, I pray that you would just move by the power of the Holy Spirit to activate every heart in this body. Every heart. Regardless of where they are, where they've been, what they've done, what might be happening in the moment. None of that. I'm not factoring any of that, Father. I'm asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to so powerfully come upon our hearts and minds that we are captivated by who Jesus is and the way he does what He does. Captivated by it. Would you just do that, Lord? Would you just, just, like you distracted Moses with a burning bush, distract us with the glory of Your Son. Holy Spirit, it's Your ministry to make Him known to us, to unpack everything that He is and everything that He does to us. That's what You do. We ask you to do that with great power and authority in this moment in time in our lives. Lord, we know there's a lot going on in our world right now. And there's a lot of other things that we might be concerned about. But Lord, let us first be concerned with who you are and what your kingdom is about. We want to be a kingdom people, Father. 
kingdom people in Jesus' name. Lord, we want to be able to trust you that all these other concerns that we currently have, you're going to take care of those when we seek you first in your kingdom. So Lord, I'm believing you're going to meet financial needs. You're going to cause miracles to appear and, and take place. You're going, to, you're going to move hindrances out of the way. Or at least bring us through them unscathed. Lord, you're going to heal. You're going to deliver. Because it is your earnest desire that we be in love with you and know your love for us. So I'm believing you for this, Lord. I'm believing you that this moment in time we're having right now is launching something forward in the Spirit within this house. Father, in the name of Jesus, it's launching something forward. Because it is according to His way. It is according to who He is. These are troublesome times, Father. You know that. Many are struggling. But Lord, You are good. You are faithful. You are relentless. You are reliable. You are able. And best of all, You are willing. You are willing to meet us. You are willing to help us. Even to the point of removing our dependence upon men for many things. So that we could be dependent upon you even more. Lord, we, we take all of our troubles, all of our situations, all of our stuff, and we lay it at your feet. There at the throne of grace. And we ask you for the mercy to help in this time of need we're facing. We ask you for wisdom. We ask you for the power of the Spirit. We ask you to lead us where you're taking us. In Jesus' name, Lord, we're asking this. We're asking this. Because of who He is and because of His ways, Father, we're asking this. So we thank you for it. We thank you for it. Everyone said. Amen. You receive that? Let's do something just a slight bit different before we run out the door.